Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 10 from the World English Bible. Israel is a luxuriant vine that produces his fruit. According to the abundance of his fruit, he has multiplied his altars. As their land has prospered, they have adorned their sacred stones. Their heart is divided. Now they will be found guilty. He will demolish their altars. He will destroy their sacred stones. Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we don't fear Yahweh. And the king, what can he do for us? They make promises, swearing falsely and making covenants. Therefore judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria will be in terror for the calves of Bethaven, for its people will mourn over it, along with its priests who rejoiced over it for its glory, because it has departed from it. It also will be carried to Assyria for a present to a great king. Ephraim will receive shame, and Israel will be ashamed of his own counsel. Samaria and her king float away like a twig on the water. The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, will be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle will come up on their altars. They will tell the mountains, cover us, and the hills, fall on us. Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they remained. The battle against the children of iniquity doesn't overtake them in Gibeah. When it is my desire, I will chastise them, and the nations will be gathered against them when they are bound to their two transgressions. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, so I will put a yoke on her beautiful neck. I will set a rider on Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will break his clods. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap according to kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek Yahweh until he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies, for you trusted in your way, in the multitude of your mighty men. Therefore, a battle roar will arise among your people, and all your fortresses will be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces with her children. So Bethel will do to you because of your great wickedness. At daybreak, the king of Israel will be destroyed. That is the end of chapter 10. I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to read Hosea when I started, and it's hard to keep reading about how bad things are. I just say bad as a simple kind of understated description, but also as the opposite of good. These people were on the highway to hell, as the ACDC song wickedly celebrates. However, in reading through I am encouraged and reminded of a few things. One is to beware the wisdom and philosophies of mankind, which because they are of man, they are not man following God's ways. These philosophies of man foster all kinds of sin. 
Then two, in the midst of the warnings about judgment, God is constantly offering healing. The people of Nineveh in the time of Jonah's account are an example of judgment that was forestalled due to repentance and contrite hearts. God is ever presenting mercy, but it has to be on the terms of truth about what is good and right, of which he is the source and embodiment. And three, God is no respecter of persons, meaning he created and loves all. There is no ethnicity or gifts given by God that make one person or group's choices buffered from the reality of righteousness and faith. People can be chosen or called for certain roles or actions, which God will use for his purposes, but matters of the heart and following God are separate from that. Four, I am grateful to have been born in the time of the church where the Holy Spirit is given to believers in Jesus Christ for help and comfort. Here in chapter 10 of Hosea, the section begins with more fruit analogies, but the prosperity has resulted in increased idols, as we mentioned in Hosea 8.11. In verse 2, it describes their heart as divided, which Elijah also addresses in 1 Kings 18.21 when he is confronting their Baal worship. Jesus also exposes this issue in Matthew 6.24, where he's reminding the people there that they cannot serve two masters. So in Hosea, when their altars are destroyed, they will find themselves hopeless because they don't fear, respect, follow Yahweh, and they realize that their earthly king can't help them. Verse 4 again shows how their wickedness gets acted upon with the example of lying. And judgment will be a step beyond just weeds that made life hard, as happened when the curse of sin was first brought on the earth after Adam's disobedience. These will be toxic, poisonous weeds, metaphorically, deadly throughout the field, which is the land being overcome with judgment. For some reason, the people will be distressed about their calf idols in verse 5. They will mourn. The New King James Version says the priests will shriek, so very emotional and and loud, pathetic, actually. Verse 6 points out that the very Assyrian king that they looked to for an alliance for help in Hosea chapter 5, verse 13, this is referenced, this same king will claim their idols, probably more for the monetary value, he probably has false gods of his own, and this will be humiliating for Israel. So verse 7 specifically explains how the kingdom of Samaria, those in power, will disappear as easily as a twig floats away. Then in verse 8, when it uses the word Avon again as a title, as a place, it seems to be a play on words for its meaning of idolatry and wickedness. The places where they engaged in this disgusting worship of idols will be left to get overgrown by thorns and thistles. Then right here is where there is a hint of end times judgment. The same thing is said in Isaiah 2.19, where Isaiah is talking about finally all that is proud and arrogant being conquered. Uh, Specifically, men shall go into the caves of the rocks and into the holes of the earth from before the terror of Yahweh and from the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day, men shall cast away their idols. Also in Luke 23, 30, when Jesus has just had Simon of Cyrene drafted to help him carry the cross, Jesus tells the lamenting multitude 
to weep for themselves and describes this same phenomena that they will begin to tell the mountains fall on us until the hills cover us. He's he is up to his last breath warning people of judgment. And then in Revelations 6, 16, we have the prophecy of the kings of the earth down to every slave doing this very thing after the sixth seal. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 9, the days of Gibeah are brought up again, which I got into in chapter 9. The wording of the second half of the verse was confusing to me, but after looking at it a bit more, I think it is saying that basically the battle wasn't victorious against iniquity. When he says in verse 10, when it is my desire, I will chastise them. Keep in mind that one, God's desires are perfect. He does not have capricious or out of control passion because he is sinless. Also two, he's talking about timely chastisement, which is in the hopes that they will respond wisely to it. The wording two transgressions is also awkward to me. I looked at some different translations and cross-references. The gist of it seems to be that he is referring to their two habitations, as the New King James Version has in its note, so the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And remember that transgress means to pass over or go beyond what is prescribed as right. Then this theme of two things ties into verse 11, where he describes Ephraim, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, as plowing together. Also, a heifer is commonly used metaphorically to mean the people are out of control and self-indulgent. This all is in keeping with the picture that was begun in verse 4, that this is all about a field without good results. In verse 12, there is the call to righteousness again, like there was in Hosea 6.3, but here it is in terms of reaping and sowing, like it reads famously in Jeremiah 4.3, where it says, break up your fallow ground. Verse 13 makes sure that they understand what they have been doing, which is not sowing righteousness and kindness. Then in verse 14, there is a reference to this person named Shalman destroying Beth Arbel. I looked through several dictionary reference type books on the blueletterbible.org, and they all say that this is an obscure, unclear reference. Possibly Shalman refers to the title or name Shalmaneser that several kings of Assyria had, and so that wouldn't be clear about one specifically, but they say it could also be Shalmanu, who was a king of Moab. The location of Beth Arbel is also not known. But it was apparently known to Hosea's listeners and helped drive the point home. But without knowing it, we still don't have any trouble understanding the thrust of this passage, the great sorrow, the devastation, the violent killing. Because of what they have done, which is represented by Bethel because of the idols there, in a morning, or you might get the impression that means in a moment, in the clear light, the king of Israel will be destroyed. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 